0: Walawani listeners and thank you for joining us on our second episode of the Veterinary Kaleidoscope. That's right, we have a name for our podcast now um, after a bit of deliberation. So, the Veterinary Kaleidoscope, looking at veterinary science through the lens of diversity. I'm Kate. I'm a veterinarian and practice owner in New South Wales, and
1: I am a trans woman. And I'm Cam. I'm a Palawa man, uh, and I'm a vet and PhD researcher. We're very
0: excited to welcome as a special guest today, Dr. Alex Harrison. Alex is a veterinarian in private companion animal practice in Adelaide, South Australia, I believe. Uh, And Alex is also hearing impaired, which is something that I was a little bit nervous coming into this about how we're going to do a podcast for the hearing impaired vet. But hopefully things go really well. I'm really looking forward to it. Alex, would you mind telling us a little bit more about yourself, particularly if I've just completely made a lie about where you work or something?
1: <laughs> Thank you. Thanks
2: for having me on board the Veterinary uh, Kaleidoscope. Uh, I'm really excited to do this as well. Uh, it's definitely a to for me doing a podcast. Um, my name's Alex Harrison, as Kate introduced me. I uh, graduated from Murdoch University in 2000, uh, nearly 21 years ago. At the time, I was Australia's first profoundly deaf veterinarian. Um, I don't think I am the only deaf veterinarian now. In recent weeks, I've learned that there may be another deaf who is practicing down in Narra who is also in South Australia. I have not met them, but I think they are working for uh, a colleague of mine who I mentored at the university. So it's kind of really nice to uh, learn that somebody I was a mentor to is now mentoring somebody who is deaf. So it's kind of a really weird coming full circle for me, really nice to see. So it's nice to know that we can have an impact on other people by setting the down I was a practice owner for 10 years uh, in a group of four clinics, and we had 85 staff working underneath us. So, uh, certainly, uh, being a practice owner, I did something that I never thought would be possible when I was at first school. Um, so, I think love means that you keep pushing the boundaries of what you can do, and. My interest uh, in orthopedics and uh, oncology, and I'm very passionate about that. And I'm also very passionate about mental graduates and mental health in our profession. Hmm.
1: Brilliant. So um, we like to start up the podcast, even though it's, it's still a pretty new one with just talking about what we've been up to recently. So what have you been up to recently, Alex?
2: So recently I took on a position as a hip fit in the Adelaide Fit Group in South Australia. I sold out of that uh, partnership about uh, three years ago. Uh, that was due to burnout, um, working 60-hour weeks, mm-hmm. and I wanted to spend more time with my young family. So I took some time away working in a much quieter practice, and I have recently stepped back into a leadership role um, and I'm really enjoying that and mentoring uh young jets again. Um, so that's been great to get back and get that side of it. In my personal life, I've just started doing some uh, flying lessons as well, which is cool. another uh, big challenge that I've really enjoyed doing. And uh, there's a few uh, challenges around that. Uh, I'm definitely enjoying that. I've uh, personally I have two bucket lists in life, and the bucket list is, the first one is um, doing all the things that other people want to do, travel, and so on, and the second one is the bucket list of all the things that people have told me I can't do. And mm-hmm. on that bucket list, I've done almost everything. which see getting to high school, get through the school. Um, practice, become a practice owner, and there were literally only two things left on that list, and learning to fly a plane with one of them, learning to sing with the other one, and I think that might be harder.
0: Oh, that's, that's awesome. I, I love it. I'm so jealous of, like, there's so many other, like, I, I know a lot of trans girls who, like, sing and sort of, uh, and can sing in, like, these like they just sound gorgeous when they sing. Uh, I'd love to sing as well. I mean, flying would be like just the biggest buzz. My youngest, he loves flying, um, uh, and has done has done like a little like he's only eleven, so he's done a little kid's flying lesson, and he really super enjoyed that. So that must be a huge wow. buzz. You must be super super loving that, Alex.
2: I am loving it, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah, it's a nice uh, mental release from uh, the process of work. It's a completely different world. It's very technical, but it's not very different from what we do. And I think it's not that different from doing a uh, surgery you haven't done before. And you have to read up on it as much as you can. And then you are, for want of a wonderful better upon.
0: love it absolutely love it well I can pretty much guarantee I think if I can learn to sing I'm pretty sure you'll be able to learn to sing too Alex um so I'll move on to our second question so I'm going to ask this question I'm pretty sure you've probably been asked it a thousand times because I certainly know I've been asked the trans version a thousand times but how do clients react to a deaf
2: veterinarian and do they always know that you're deaf? Clients, yeah. they are a mixed bench. I think the majority of them take up pretty well. In the consult, I will actually explain up front that I have to look forward, um, but I don't make a big deal out of it and I should continue on and then ask them a question about their pet, And they generally do take it pretty well. You do get the minority that uh, tend to be uh, very non-classified, and you do get the minority that will openly question if you should be doing that uh, that kind of work. But fortunately, they are few and far between. It certainly was more of a problem for me as a new grader, and I think that when you get some grey hairs in your beard, uh, it certainly helped to uh, uh, dispel some of that and certainly when you have a title at like The Hitbit, Uh that lends a bit of authority to, to mm-hmm. that. So I think for the most part, people are fairly really fascinated and they do tend to want to ask a lot of questions. Uh, my colleagues that I work with do tend to be very, very supportive. So I tend to provide support for them in other ways. So in areas where my definitely may make it a bit harder for me to support my colleagues. I will support them in lots of other ways, and my colleagues can certainly tip to that. That's not to say that in the veterinary profession we don't encounter discrimination or some hostility. Uh, for the most part, it is fairly really covert that we can still pick up on it. But if I, if I gold, the I can go clients and uh, colleagues, generally, are absolutely fantastic. They tend to be more around uh, phone conversations. Um, if I have to make a cold phone call, do so for example, a phone call to a client that has not met me before or uh, I haven't spoken to them before, then they may be a bit more confused about the nature of the phone call. It is a bit different. But generally speaking, my reception staff have over explaining that to them. And they recently met me anyway. So by and large, it's not usually an issue. We have uh, uh, developed a lot of strategies to minimise that. But I do remember as a new grader, it was very challenging. And that was very much the product of, I suppose, myself not having any mentors at the time, nobody else to uh, draw from their experiences, Uh, their advice on how to deal with some of these situations. And uh, I think probably like with soft you'd have to trailblaze in some areas. And uh, like with soft cam, you'd have to trailblaze in some areas too. And you just have to do your best. And if people are trying to catch up and maybe understand that there are different ways of doing things.
0: Yeah, definitely sort of uh, – it's interesting to hear you say that you're very upfront about sort of uh, – about your hearing impairment in, in a console because – it. Uh, i i'm sort of so sure definitely i'm tend to be quite up front I don't mention a lot nowadays just because most of my clients know and I'm assuming it's probably similar for you most of my clients know I'm trans so it's not a part of the thing but definitely early on it was uh, it was very much okay I'm trans and, and sort of uh, and you just move on and ask about the ask about the animal and, and start inquiring about what their concern is with their pet and very quickly they just it's not an issue. Uh, certainly that was my experience as well. Sounds sort of similar there. How, how do you go with the remote communities? cam like that's sort of uh, like getting buy-in and getting people to sort of to take you in and sort of, yeah.
1: Yeah, um, I guess for me, it's not necessarily um, obvious to a lot of people that I am Aboriginal. Um, which in itself presents its own challenges, um, particularly being Tasmanian Aboriginal and the uh, persisting myth that Tasmanian Aboriginals are extinct um, is something that can be very difficult to fight back against um, and essentially continuing to be denied as an Aboriginal person on that point. But I guess in terms of acceptance... In, in remote communities, that, that sort of mentality has never been an issue. Um, it's always been nothing but acceptance. Um, maybe they don't always realize it initially when they see me, but as soon as I speak about my ancestry, they speak to me as family. Um, so it's and it's just been nothing but but welcoming in in remote communities so um that that sort of behaviour is something that I've yet yeah, never had to to tolerate up there which has just been so refreshing and a really important part of i guess my journey of identifying as an aboriginal person as well and so you mentioned before, uh, Alex, different ways of of doing things. Um, I'm a bit of a technology nerd. I'm a bit of a, tech, a nerd in in many different ways. And I know that you've spoken to Kate about this before in a previous interview. But I think it's just it's such a cool bit of tech. So if it's okay with you, can we talk about your your stethoscope? Um, I know that it's quite a different way of of doing things. And um, but I bet there's there's a lot of things that you're able to pick up um, that most couldn't with an audio stethoscope.
2: Absolutely. Uh, before I go to that point, I just want to make a comment. You talked about uh, being a tech nerd, <laughs> and uh, I want to say that I'm all for diversity on that as well. Um, we need more tech nerds in the, the <laughs> community as well. Um, so, uh, uh, it's an interesting one. Um, I use a, a, a telescope called the Think Labs One Telescope. It's an absolutely wonderful piece of technology. It is crystal clear. Um, it's actually essentially a, a small wireless telescope where there's no earpieces, shut the bell of the telescope. You can get uh, earplugs um, that will uh, remotely connect to the Labs one telescope, but I don't use it that way. I should use the bell. Itself, and then it connects into my iPad, and um, on the iPad, there is a phono cardiogram or phono cardiography app. We basically convert the sound wave into a visual format. Um, the old, in the olden days, the machine used to be absolutely massive, but now the technology is such that you can look at it on your iPhone or on your iPad. And it's absolutely wonderful technology. I can actually pick up some heart murmurs, and I've actually been able to pick up some heart murmurs that other people haven't been able to. um, Vocal murmurs and so on. However, I would not go so far to say that I necessarily hear murmurs, or, or rather see murmurs that other people don't say, because a lot of it comes down to good technique and positioning you have to have the stethoscope in the right spot to pick up a vocal murmur. You have to have a quiet environment to listen in, and you have to make sure the patient is not panting excessively. So, a lot of it does come down to good technique, and it's not necessarily going to confer any more advantages for me than it is for anybody else. That said, it's a great piece of technology. It wasn't actually developed for human impaired people, it was actually developed for cardiologists. Because what they found in the study, I think they found that uh, in a study of cardiology, recodence, and recoder, they were only agreeing on what they were hearing in about 25% of patients. Right. Because it's a very subjective experience. So they decided to use the phono the app so they could actually record playback and compare notes from what they were in, And the other benefit to it was it can be remotely uh, linked to a computer outside the room. In actual fact, um, my dates may be wrong, but I think the Ebola outbreak was in about 2014, I think. And you couldn't buy them for level money back then uh, worldwide because all the hospitals in America were buying them map. Um, mm-hmm. Because they were using the telescope the in the Ebola, or planning to in the Ebola containment ward, and then uh, remote, uh, remotely viewing the recording and listening to it outside the room. Um, so it's actually technology that was actually developed for human people, but we were actually uh, there are a number of districts around the world who have co-opted that their own use. It's um, absolutely fantastic technology. And uh, I actually recommend it to human beings as well, not just those with a
1: human loss. Mm, that's amazing.
0: Really incredible. I, I must admit, got, I think that's step step from Alex's recommendation and is just incredible. I totally agree. I think you've got to be, it's actually probably making better at making sure I'm in the right spot for the right sort of, for the right area. Just as an add-on to that, sorry, sort of to there, but is there any other technology that as a deaf veterinarian has helped you with your clinical practice?
2: Absolutely. Um, so uh, people often ask me about how I cope in uh, theatre with lip and that's about me, I'm mainly lip And essentially, instead, I have, I think, the surgical mask. So the central portion of the mask over the mouth is a box-free, clear, material. And for years I was making my own with a uh, surgical mask. They were actually the you know, a um, surgical mask that have the three facets that comes up over your eyes, Well I would <laughs> cut out the material from that and then put that into a window over the mouth. and I was making them by hand. Each one would take me about 20 minutes to make. They weren't always the most comfortable to wear, but I used them 20 years ago uh, at university in, in my surgery tutorials. In theatre, I'm the boss, so um, the other staff don't need to lip read me, and I pretty much know what I want to do. i actually prefer them kind of quiet anyway when I'm operating. But there is a product called the uh, communicator uh, mask, and they're now available, and they're actually commercially available masks, which you can buy in America. Uh, They are reasonably expensive for me to get in about a hundred of them from the U.S. Uh, By the time I've done the Shane rate and uh, uh, freight will probably set me back about $400. Wow.
0: How? Um, I don't
2: use them very often uh, because I have a look around, but I definitely have uh, options on that front. It's great to have commercially available masks now. The other area that people often ask about is how do I communicate with clients over the phone and I use a special phone called the Cattail phone and essentially it worked like a normal phone in that I make a phone call to somebody and they will hear my voice and I can hear theirs as well. But the phone also, I had the ability to caption the um Uh, the conversation, and it does it through the internet, through America, and the caption come up to my phone, almost virtually in real time. Mm -hmm. Not unlike what we're doing right now, we're doing the podcast, and we're Mm -hmm. doing it over a Zoom meeting, and I've got the app captioning, what you're saying. Uh, There are occasionally some small errors in the captioning transcription, but your brain can fill in a lot of those gaps pretty well. It's fine, large, like it
1: does work reasonably well. Mm. And I imagine those masks coming out of the US probably were spurred on by the current pandemic. What is it, as somebody who lip reads, I imagine that the widespread use of, of masks during the pandemic has made it especially Challenging. How has that impacted your life professionally and personally?
2: It probably impacted my life more personally um, than professionally. Under the legislation in South Australia, under the health directives, we are allowed to request that somebody contact them, them at Tulipway. It is that person's choice whether they want to do that. Uh, But clients are generally very happy to do that, and I keep my mask on anyway, for the protection of both of us. I also will use the social distancing uh, requirement of one person and the consult one. Anyway, so professionally, it hasn't had too much of an impact. It's probably been more challenging when we've had to go curbside um, and then using the phone more to talk to clients. Uh, but I kind of do try to get around that by looking through the window. I'm all using time with clients, so I can get around that. Curse side is uh, hard work uh, for a deaf person, but it's hard work for everybody, I think, not just me. So we should make the usual allowances that we have to make for everybody else. It does take almost everybody else about half an hour to get to a kind of self-serve side, uh, it's not just me. Nice. Personally, I have found the mask to be far more challenging uh, when you go out into the community. Um, you don't have the clients that know you, you don't have your colleagues that know you explaining how you work. So if you're going to a business shop or a, a, a news agency um, or a restaurant, and the server or person at the um, the person serving you is wearing a mask, sometimes they'll start talking and you explain that you have to look right. And it's really interesting, people often stare at you blankly and they'll actually uh, start talking more and then you decide that you have to look right and you, uh, is it possible to uh, take the mask down? and most people just to that is it actually talk louder, more animatedly, and uh, it can be really frustrating and um, sometimes you just have to try and work it out by context. Uh, it, it can be quite isolating and COVID has really driven on uh, how challenging it can be to, to, to be a deaf person sometimes I have the adaptability to work around that a lot of the time, but I know that a lot of deaf people really struggle with that. And I actually know of a large number of deaf people now who do not leave their homes because socially is so isolating and so frustrating socially that you don't want to leave their homes anymore. And uh, more broadly, it can be challenging from a telemedicine point of view. Um, telemedicine is not set up uh, for deaf people. I guess it's difficult for people to be as inclusive or thinking about ways of doing differently when they're fighting for their own safety. And I do kind of understand that on one level. So in a pandemic, you really start to see that there's a lot of people who try really hard and will do their bit to be inclusive and look after everybody and see other people who tend to retreat and the world will narrow us down and it really, really crystallises the differences in different people's approaches to life. That's what i found. And I know I'm going a bit of a tangent here to your question, term, but there's a lot of nuance to uh, how the pandemic is affecting people with disabilities, and I'm sure it probably affected you in your own ways.
0: Yeah, that's a- I think that's a really a a really awesome and well not awesome. It's a really important point. Uh, that and I agree with you completely, Alex. I do think that people in, in the pandemic, you kind of find out who true friend isn't quite the right term, but you find out who the advocates are and who are the people who are kind of just they're there until it's just a little bit too hard, if you know what I mean. For my community, it's sort of uh, there's probably been less of an impact. I would actually sort of I would say than than the impact on the disability community and and certainly the um, uh, the racially diverse community. Sort of uh, where you know we've got massive sort of uh, challenges with Black Lives Matter and and sort of an Aboriginal deaths in custody and uh there was you know and we sort of uh, had some real issues last year where sort of we had the the black lives matter protests and and some aboriginal deaths in custody and uh, some very legitimate concerns and protests sort of going on there uh and i think it was a it was a challenging time and there was a lot of people who were like oh yeah this isn't the right time to bring it up and it's like like no offense when is the right time to bring it up like (laughs) <laughs> oh. Yeah. So, so, Alex, I know that for me, being one of only a fairly limited number of transgender veterinarians worldwide, and certainly probably the most visible trans veterinarian in Australia, let's put it that way, uh, at times it can feel like it's it's good and everything, but at times it can feel lonely and and there's like a there's a it feels like a burden there for being responsible for educating everyone and and it's sort of uh we discussed this last one last uh podcast a little bit Kevin being the shiny happy version of uh of you know whatever it is trans or deaf or or sort of uh, disability or 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 the black community um and and I, I do find that sometimes a little bit isolating um so, Alex, you're certainly the only profoundly deaf veteran that I know. Uh, how do you, do you find a similar loneliness? And if so, how do you deal with that? How do you, how do you move forward through that?
2: Well, I think there are a couple of things to that. I think um, people often ask me what it's like to be a profoundly deaf veteran and, and the two aspects to that. And the bad and go to people don't know what it's like to be profoundly deaf. So um, that in itself can be a little bit isolating, we do try to explain that. But then on the other hand, the back and go to people also don't know what it's like to be a veterinarian and what uh, the impacts are on your family, the, the mental fatigue and so on. And, And when you combine the two of of those, then you do tend to find that there's a lot of people who really struggle to really identify with that. So I find that people that do identify with that, usually mainly because they spend a lot of time with me. They can see the impact it has on me personally. Um, So for example... That study was done a few years ago where they looked at uh, the the mental frame of listening for deaf people. And they found that the average hearing person will use 5% of their brain in listening and processing conversation in a given day. And for deaf people, that, that is often 50% or more. So for me personally, when you are you have got that on the bit in there, and I often find that at the end of the day, I'm actually completely exhausted. And it doesn't uh what well, I can give to my family, my, my two young girls, at the end of the day, and that uh, sometimes it's uh, a bit tough. Sometimes, but people don't always necessarily understand that sometimes I have to withdraw and be shy, and I'm not very dark in at and um that usually tend to be at the end of the day. it often can be a lot of mental strain and blame. Um but it's what I'm used to, I guess. Uh, but people don't always necessarily understand that. Um, the other aspect to it is that, um, yes, it can be lonely, absolutely. It certainly can be lonely. Um, but I guess I can either feel sorry for myself in that, uh, in that way, or realize that everybody else has got their own thing that they can be lonely about. Everybody else has got their own thing that they feel like the people don't necessarily understand. And then I can remind myself, and often do, that maybe I might have my own personal battle, my own thing. But one of the great things about my bender for me is that it really has allowed me to empathise with other people. So at the end of the day, we all want to be seen, we all want to be heard, we all want to be understood, and it doesn't really matter what our journey is, whether we're deaf, whether we're transgender, whether we're uh, Aboriginal or, or a racial minority, it doesn't matter. We all want to be heard, understood, and that, at the end of the day, it's the end of the day. And so the feelings that come about are common to all of us. Uh, whether we might feel marginalized or on the outer, or we're not being heard, we might not feel like we're minority, but we might not feel understood. And that respect, I don't feel lonely, if that makes sense. So the journey might feel lonely, but how the journey makes me feel is not lonely. And that's a common human element that I think unites all of us. And uh, obviously, I'm a I'm white, uh, I'm a male, and I also went to a private school when I was a kid, so by all definition, I should be the very epitome of privilege, but I'm actually very passionately political about all kinds of issues, I you probably know, Kate. Yes. <laughs> that came about from realising that you have to have a voice in these things, and my deafness actually allows me to relate as much as I can or try to put myself in the shoes of other minority groups. Even though I might not have that lived experience of what it's like in their journey, I do have the lived experience of how they might feel because of that journey. And um, so, yes, I do feel lonely sometimes, mainly in on the journey, uh, but I don't feel lonely and the feeling that that makes sense.
0: It, it does, and I think it's absolutely beautiful the way you've expressed it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just gorgeous. So, Alex, you've got not one but two memberships, one in medicine and one in surgery. Uh, Cam, you're doing a PhD. Um, uh, I'm... I'm surrounded by overachievers here, couldn't you listen? It's like, seriously, it's sort of, uh, it's like, oh, boys, can we calm down a bit? I mean, I'm no slouch at surgery. I sort of, I do love my orthopedic surgery. Um, uh, You'll be happy to know, Alex, I was just doing a, just did a CBLO the other day on a little dog, Um, uh, sort of, uh, and I'm not sort of, uh, not churning through the surgeries, but I like doing them and, uh, and I'm no slouch at it. Do you ever feel like colleagues see you as just the deaf veterinarian or the Aboriginal veterinarian or sort of in my case the, the trans veterinarian and to a certain extent discount your voice and opinions and views on uh, veterinary matters, like uh, sort of on, on matters that are outside of those, the, those areas, if you know what I mean?
2: Yes and no. I think my close colleague colleagues, the ones that I actually work with or have worked with, I don't think they essentially view me as a deaf bit um They do certainly view it as a part of who I am, but uh, I, I would say there's a lot of other qualities I have uh, in my personality. Um, uh, I mean, I'm very well known to my sense of who I'm at work and. They would uh, they would certainly probably identify with that more than my deafness. Um, but I don't think my close colleagues do, and the ones that have worked with me do. The broader of community, if they don't know me personally, I suspect they would. And certainly uh, a large number of clients would. But I think that's really where... People are just looking for a way of distinguishing with other people, really, and it may just be a point of conversation. So it's not necessarily something to be offended by. We can if we want to, but it, it yeah, I mean. There's often a lot of curiosity around it, uh, being that uh, different veterinarian as there would be for a trans veteran or for an Aboriginal veteran, there would be a lot of uh, curiosity around that. So people that don't know you would certainly uh, use that as a way of describing you to other people and possibly even view that way, but the ones that work with me, Um, No, they wouldn't because they know that I am uh, more than the sum of my past uh, and my business is only one of those. And certainly it impacts on my personality and my ethics and my my drive and my motivation. A lot of it is partly shaped by my business, but a lot of it is also quite intrinsic and inherent to who I am. So no, I don't think they do.
1: Cam, what do you do? Yeah, I guess for me, it's a bit of a tough one. As as I mentioned before, for a lot of people, it's not what they see, but in other circles, I guess I am somewhat known as the Aboriginal vet. But I'm proud to say that I am part of a growing community of Aboriginal vets, and that's something that I. I'm just psyched about Um, there are two Palawa vets graduating this year from Melbourne university alone. And I can't put into words how proud of them I am, particularly getting through the last couple of years and all the challenges that that has thrown up and their desire to be involved in indigenous community work too, um, and, and establish those connections. Um, Something that, I think I have struggled with and I know that that other indigenous vet students have struggled with too a little bit is feeling sometimes that you are the diversity pick um there's imposter syndrome is already so rife within the vet industry and I think um there are conversations that I've had with with indigenous vet students where they worry that they're only there because they're Indigenous, that they wouldn't have got in if they weren't. Um, And I try to say to them, you know, have you failed anything? And they say, no. And I say, well, were you close to failing anything? And they say, well, no. And I say, (laughs) well, you belong here just like anybody else. Um, But I had those feelings too. So I guess, you know, I'm proud to be an Aboriginal vet, um, but there's some weird baggage that comes along with it, too, I think, as I imagine any label does.
0: Yeah, it's the label, isn't it? If it's any consolation, you can tell them I failed uh, nutrition in third year, and I think Tara failed repro in fourth year. So <laughs> even if they have failed something, not important. <laughs> Sorry, Alex.
2: Well, I'm at I I make a comment if I don't mind? I've got to say, really incorrect, that you are a- Uh, I said they had failed. And I guess it's really interesting because isn't there sometimes a subconscious bias that, uh, okay, these people are not what we would normally expect to see in the industry. Um, They're certainly not within the cookie cutter mold. Mm -hmm. And so we haven't seen this before. So on a subconscious level, we expect them to fail. And isn't that because perhaps we've absorbed what almost a subconscious bias at the end decided? Absolutely. Um, I see that all the time. Um, And I certainly was very much hyper aware of that when I was a new graduate. Uh, I tend to often ignore it a lot now because I've been in the uh, industry for 20 years now. So my deafness isn't really that's a big part of who I am in the Vietnamese community as it used to be. Um, I'm well known for a lot more things than um, my deafness, although it is a, a point of difference. That doesn't mean that I don't have bad days and that doesn't mean I don't have my doubters. But it is very interesting that you make that comment and I, can, I completely relate to that thing and completely relate to, to it. Can. I love,
0: sorry, I'll- I was just going to pick up on something that you mentioned a while ago, uh, Alex, that you really enjoyed. You've really enjoyed getting back into mentoring uh, sort of for younger veterinarians. And I would agree, like, mentoring is one of the big things that I definitely uh, very much enjoy uh, is that uh, the compensation for being the the old trans vet trailblazer, so to speak, is that you sort of, you then also become like the, you do become the mentor and you get to see these uh, new graduates come through and they just do amazing stuff. And, and Cam, you're mentioning about those, um, the new, the two Palawa sort of veterinarians who are graduating this year and, and how proud you feel about them. And uh, I think I, I'd sort of, uh, like i I love the mentoring role. I do. I mentor three or four um, vet students and and young veterinarians. Um, and I, I just like to. If you've got any more to say about that, Alex, because I, I think it's really important in our industry. to Really, sort of get this, get that mentoring happening. I think that it does make a huge impact on improving everyone's mental health.
2: Absolutely. I mean, um, I think. The common thread with a lot of mentors is that quite often they don't want people to feel the way they might have felt in the past, especially when it comes to mental health. And for me personally, I didn't have any deaf mentors per se in the veterinary side of things, but I still have some absolutely fantastic mentors uh, who were that So, for example, uh, when I was at Murdoch University, I had uh, a lecturer called Peter Irwin. Peter Irwin would be well-known to many of us as an infectious disease expert and he's absolutely brilliant. Um, and a of story here, when I was in uh, my final year of university, I had actually let the pressure get to me. All these subconscious bias that we talk about, people kind of questioning. I mean it wasn't over-quenching of Uh, my competence like I don't think you can do it but how are you going to do this how are you actually going to make this work Uh, what's your plan for making this work and so there's a lot of that sort of covert sort of uh implication that you might not be able to do it a lot of covert questioning of your competence or future competence it's there it's definitely there and you kind of learn to suck it off, but it's always going to be there. And sometimes people think they have been well-intentioned, but it does come through sometimes. And um, anyway, it got to me. And there was a lot of questions uh, in the final year of how are you actually going to make this work in practice? How are you actually going to use the telephone? How are you actually going to deal with clients and the concept and so on? And, At the time, I was kind of getting all these questions, and they were well intentioned questions by and large from a lot of people, but there was the cumulative onslaught of how they're going to happen. And so, when you're a final year of a student uh, dealing with the process of exams and study and trying to have a social life and so on, then you go, well, can I actually do this? And I actually in that moment began to have some real doubts about my ability to 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 make this work. So in the final year, I was probably about two months down from graduating and almost felt like throwing the towel in and almost felt like quitting and not doing it anymore and walking away from it all. And Peter, I met with him and he talked me through a and he actually said to me, well, you know, you can always be uh, a radiologist. You can always be a pathologist. The veterinary profession is very broad church. And he knew me well enough that I didn't want to be a pathologist or a radiologist. No offense no to people who work in. Uh, they just complained. They have great friends and they just complained. I just wasn't cut out for that kind of thing. But he knew a bit of reverse psychology to help me uh, get back in contracts. And there were a lot of other things that he said, but in that moment, he really impressed upon me that we all have a lot of power to change the course of people's lives by the way we use our words and the way that we live them. And he really impressed upon me the importance of mentoring people who really change the course of people's lives. And I've taken that forward into my profession. Uh, Taking that forward into my career, I'm very conscious of the imprint and the fingerprints that I leave on new graduates, the way that I can influence them, the way that I, that responsibility that you spoke about before of looking after them and helping them to believe in themselves. It is an enormous responsibility. Um, Even when you've been inspired by other people, it's still an enormous responsibility. But it's an amazing, it's a great privilege too, and I really enjoy it. I really enjoy it, um, and I think most, probably one of the things I really enjoy the most.
1: What about you, Cam? Yeah, um, I think I've been very fortunate as well to, as Alex explained, just have people in my in my circle in my life who have known. And I've never really known how they knew what was exactly the right time to just sort of give me that little push or little bit of advice to get me on my way and maybe get me to realize something about myself, whether it's sort of making changes in my career or just something that wasn't quite sticking. So um, I've been very fortunate to have have a few people, bosses and just friends who've who've really been critical to yeah just getting me to see see things in myself sometimes when I didn't necessarily believe that I had the capacity to do things so I hope that I can give people that little nudge when they need it I hope that I have the wisdom to see when they need it too which is I feel like that's a very difficult thing to kind of develop but I guess it just comes with with time um so I hope that I can, I can be that presence in, in somebody's life in, in the future, that's for sure.
0: I think you certainly, both of you definitely have very much those presence in other people's life. And it is it's an incredible feeling. I think it's a, an incredible feeling when you see, when you see that little fingerprint of yours and someone sort of says, "Thanks so much for doing that." And yeah. All right, last question. Uh, this one is a personal question. So, Alex, do you wish you weren't deaf? So if you could take a pill and you would magically be not deaf, but it would mean that any experience that you had to do with being deaf, anyone you know or met because you're deaf or anything in your life related to your deafness was just erased like it never existed, would you take that pill? Ooh, <laughs>
2: I think that. The very that is the question with an answer that is going to be very complex and very nuanced. It would probably be a whole podcast in its own right. Mm. Uh, but in short, no, I wouldn't take the pill. As, as I spoke about before, it's the journey, and it does make you who you are. It's the definition of who you are. We all have our own challenges in life, and it's how we respond to them that define who we are. It's not the challenges that define you, it's how you rise to the occasion, how you deal with those challenges that define you. I don't take the question the wrong way because I know exactly what you mean by uh, and what you're verbalising is a question that I think a lot of people inherently wonder aloud. You're simply asking what a lot of people uh, do wonder aloud and it comes out in other ways where people say things like uh, what do you think about having a cochlear implant, what do you think about uh, potentially being technology to get rid of your deafness? Uh, would you do that? And maybe I would, maybe I wouldn't, I have to think about that more. But if you're asking me to completely erase all of my life, where that part of my life where I've been deaf, then absolutely not. That this feeling of who I am. And people often ask me all the time about what it's like to be deaf. I was born deaf, so I can't generally answer that question of what it's like to be deaf because I don't know any different. I don't know what it's like to be human. And uh, it's really funny how people ask that question of what it's like to be deaf, even though they know I've been born deaf, What do you want me to say? Because in a way, there's, they do mean well. They do mean well. But sometimes people need to stop and think about what they're actually implying there. I don't take a thinker at, at all, I know they I mean well, but it's really amazing how people don't actually stop and think about what they can't even find there. And the other aspect to it is, it's definitely something that has to be fixed. Uh, are we actually mm-hmm. broken? Um, and I think sometimes when that punching gets bad, are we then ignoring that, that actually that been a lot of and diversity in terms of otherwise. I wouldn't be the person that I am if I wasn't deaf. Um I I wouldn't have met the family and friends that I have, well obviously the family, yes, but I wouldn't have the the friends that I have if I was uh, if I wasn't deaf. And I think because of my deafness, I tend to seek out people who are progressive and open-minded and want to actually drill down into deep issues, and actually want to make more of an effort in actually connecting because you have to work harder at that. So there's certainly been a lot of benefits to being deaf and that whole journey, but I don't know that I would necessarily have if I wasn't born deaf. My deafness requires me to be authentic and real and to own who I am. And for me, there's a great gift in that. And um, maybe I might have that if I wasn't born deaf. But being deaf is a challenge. And I think any kind of challenge forces you to become real and authentic. And there's a great gift in there that you can't, we can't uh you can't want to give away by taking a pill. Um, So in a nutshell, no, I wouldn't take the pill. It's who I am. And um, yeah, it's a very complex and nuanced answer. I like to go on and on and on and on for hours, but I think I'll leave it there.
0: Great! I love your answer. Mm, Me too. uh, yeah, I think sort of uh, agree completely. We might have to just do an entire podcast just on that question. Would you take the green the blue pill or the red pill? <laughs> <laughs> but as you say, Alex, that's probably a really good spot to leave it. So thank you so much. It has been an absolute pleasure having you. Uh, and it has been wonderful talking to you, and as always, has just been so enlightening and mind expanding to to chat and and hear you talk. Thank you. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Kate and Uh, Cam. Thank you for having me and for giving me an opportunity to uh, express my voice. I uh, I think it's a really important initiative, uh, the Kaleidoscope. Um, It's absolutely um, brilliant. And um, Hopefully people listening to the podcast will think about things differently and uh, I really look forward to seeing some future podcasts uh, in the particular space. It's absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much, Caden.
0: Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And uh, we will see you next time on The Veterinary Kaleidoscope. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye.
2: Bye.